When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. That was fun, wasn't it? Uh, this is your boy Sully. This is Talking Out Loud. We are recording live on Sunday, November 27th. The Bahamas is over. Dayton is 0-3, coming home with a 3-4 and record. And this evening, to get us going, I have the godfather of Dayton basketball blogging himself, Blackburn, with me to digest the crap sandwich that we were given over the Thanksgiving week with the Flyers losing all three games in the Bahamas and coming home empty-handed. So, Blackburn... I'm going to hit you with some trivia right off the bat tonight. When was the last time that the Dayton Flyers started the first seven games of their season with three and four record? Um, well, let me see. Last year, they lost three in a row at home in the beginning of the year. It wasn't last year, was it? It was not. Okay. They, they, they rebounded. You know, they won some games. Remember, they won the, the three games in uh, the tournament they were in last year, right? Kansas okay. So they all that. So, so they, they were four got and three. Four and three, quickly. Four and yes. three, right. Okay. I will say maybe Archie's first year. Nope. It was AG's first year, 2018. I, I, I was going to say that, but I was like, that's like almost too obvious, you know? Like for the second time in six seasons, Anthony Grant has coached the team to a three and four record in the first seven games do you want to take a stab at how um at uh, the time that it happened before that more previously since ag's first year yeah so before ag's first year when he went three and four before that when was the last time that dayton was three and four all right i'm gonna i'm gonna like re- revise my answer then um maybe the f- ali p ali p's first year that's correct. That's correct. All right. There you go. You're one and one for trivia tonight. The last That's not time bad. before Anthony Grant got to campus that the University of Dayton started three and four in their first seven games of the season was Oliver Purnell's first year in the winter of 1994 en route to a seven in 20 record. Blackburn, it's great to have you on the program. I know we haven't done it in a while, caught up, talk some Dayton basketball, but there's some things that must be discussed today. So great to have you back on. I know that you had to dust off the mic. Yeah, I, I literally did. Um, I did some vocal exercises, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, we're, we're right back in it, and uh, it feels familiar, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, I, I know that the list of, of grievances are, are growing daily. So uh, there's probably plenty to talk about tonight. There are. Uh, the problems for the Dayton Flyers, to quote the great Chuck Knoll, they are great, and they are many. Uh, The Flyers have issues all over the court, not the least of which is injuries. And so that's where we start tonight. Um, It is my opinion that one of the greatest failings of adults in this day and age of 2022 is not taking the time to understand why people feel the way they do about certain things. That could be economics, that could be politics, that could be sports. I don't think that people often take enough time to understand the other viewpoint and why that viewpoint is formed. Okay. So I think everybody can agree on this podcast that um, there's lots of disagreements on social media. You know, we're in a day and age where everybody's opinions are out in front of you all the time. 
um, you know, 20 years ago, you basically knew the opinions of what you saw on television, your close friends and family and those you interacted with. And that basically would form your opinion on all matters. Today, in this day and age, 2022, heading into 2023, it is not that way anymore. You have opinions from all kinds of people all the time. There's so much noise on social media. You are never sure who is an intelligent person you should take seriously and who is a person that you should not take seriously because they aren't able to be objective or they're just not that intelligent to begin with. And so I say that to start the show because six years ago, when Anthony Grant took the job, Many people, yourself included, Blackburn, were very skeptical that AG could do a very good job at Dayton. And while many people disagreed and said he's an alumni, he's a great person, he still is an alumni and a great person, I'm not saying that he isn't, but people that disagreed with those who were skeptical of Anthony Grant did not take the time to fully understand where that opinion came from and how it was formulated. Fast forward six years, again, two out of six seasons now, Anthony Grant has gone three and four in the first seven games. Last year, he was able to get to four and three, even though he lost three out of the first four games, which we hadn't seen since before the Oliver Purnell years. But Anthony Grant is now 40 and 21 in the non-conference through six seasons. He has no NCAA tournament appearances. They have not played in a single NCAA tournament game. They haven't won the A-10 tournament. And really all that we have to show for the Anthony Grant hire at this particular juncture is a COVID-shortened season and a regular season A-10 title, which of course means diddly. <clears throat> so Blackburn, I think today I wanted to start the show there because if you were uh, AG's most ardent supporter, if you were... <laughs> If if you were, okay, if you okay. out there were, if you're listening right now and you have always been a supporter of AG, it is time to take a step back and fully understand why people have been skeptical of Anthony Grant, what their complaints have been of his resume, and why people were unsure that he could take this program to new heights. I don't think it is a stretch anymore to say that the 2020 year is a true outlier in the resume of Anthony Grant. When you consider that the best team that he had before that time was a 28-7 and VCU team in his very first year of coaching. They went 16-2 and in the CAA. That was in 2007. And they went to the second round of the NCAA tournament, the only season in Anthony Grant's entire coaching tenure that he has won an NCAA tournament game. Yes, if I'm hitting you with those facts for the first time, Anthony Grant is in his 15th season as a Division I head coach, and he has not won an NCAA tournament game since his first season at VCU. Blackburn, I know that you were one of the people that <clears throat> was very skeptical of Anthony Grant and laid out the reasons why you had that skepticism. And I don't know, is it time to revisit for people why those skepticisms existed? Um, you know, if I want to hit you with one more number here, with the loss to BYU in overtime, Anthony Grant teams are now 24 and 27 at the University of Dayton in games decided by five points or less. I know that is a flawed metric because, you know, five points is kind of a, a very arbitrary number. Right. It's generally, right. you know, agreed upon that that's a close game in any metric. But of course, you could be up by 10, score a bunch of meaningless buckets, and then win the game by five. So take that with a grain of salt. But the reality is when you get into close games with Anthony Grant coach teams, it is going to be a coin flip every single time. Unpack what I just said, Blackburn, your thoughts. Well, you can kind of take it to the old like Ronald Reagan quote, right? It's like, are you in a better spot than you were six years ago? Is the program answer is definitively no at this point. I think, yeah, I think an impartial person would have to say no, unfortunately. Um, and it, look, you're right. I mean, the, 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 I guess the direction I'm coming from on this is that if you are an AG fan and you're an AG defender, an AG supporter, and that's fine. Like Sully and I have no problem. We discussed this many times on social media. It's absolutely your right to be a cheerleader for Anthony Grant. You know, that comes maybe part and parcel with being a UD fan. That's fine. Um, you could stick up for him. That's great. But I guess Sully, we're, we're guys like you and me and a, a growing portion of the fan base 
is coming from now is that, okay, it's year six. Um, and a lot of these excuses aren't really working anymore. You know, um, 2020 was what, three seasons ago now. Yep. Uh, you, you know, you lucked into having, you know, a, the, the player of the year and an NBA lottery pick on a mid-major team. We've gone over this. And if you're shaking your head out there, it is luck. Okay. Anthony Grant did not recruit Obi Toppin thinking he right. was going to be the best player in program history. That's why he didn't play his first year and he redshirted. So don't shake your head and be like, oh my God, how, how are you saying that that was luck? It was luck. Okay. Now, AG definitely had a hand in, in developing Obi Toppin, but it was luck that he turned into what he is today. But that being said, you know, Sports. The great thing about sports is a uh, it's your it, your record is what you say it. It's you are what your record. Exactly. You know you can make all the excuses. You can say he's a nice guy. He's a bad guy. He's this or that. At the end of the day, the record is in black and white. You can point to it. It's the one objective measure we have for college coaches or for any coach in in any sport. And you know the the excuses now just kind of ring hollow you know we're we're tired of hearing about what a nice guy he is and how he's a great advocate for the school and the program that's all fine and good go work in the pr department go be a fundraiser sure um you're not getting paid seven figures those people are always working for the school you know who are like diehard supporters support the team at any cost usually those are people that work for the school and fine you know that's your job you get paid to do that okay i get it yeah, and it's like, you know, this is big business. Uh, you know, we uh, I talked about this last year. Dayton fans need to look at themselves not so much as kind of this, oh, we're a small town uh small town folk who are supporting this this basketball program. Oh. Look at yourself as a consumer, look at yourself as a shareholder in this program. Is this the you know, if you were investing in the in the Dayton basketball product as a business, you probably wouldn't be very happy with your your, you know, rate of of return right now. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, my concern when Anthony Grant was hired six years ago was that a, nobody else was looking at Anthony Grant to do anything in college basketball. You know, he was the the only, I think we can safely say, and this is not controversial. Um, and I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. So, (laughs) 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 um, but for the fact that Anthony Grant played at Dayton, he would not be coaching at Dayton. Yeah, okay. It's not up for I, debate. Yeah. It's not up for debate. He was sitting on, you know, he was Billy Donovan's uh, on on Billy Donovan's uh, bench in Oklahoma City, making a nice paycheck and just having a good life for himself. And he was off the radar. He, his name wasn't mentioned anywhere. He kind of ran. He kind of shot his wad at Bama, and you know his his record at VCU and Bama kind of spoke for itself. And he was kind of not a candidate anymore for any major college basketball jobs. So that was what my initial apprehension was towards his the hiring of Anthony Grant is that I thought he was out of the game too long. Um, I, and I, 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 I always want a guy that comes to Dayton and wants to get out of Dayton after four or five years. You know, I want the, the Archie Miller, the Oliver Purnell, you know, not necessarily that they're going to leave the, the, the job, but I want them to think in those terms, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to go to the tournament a bunch of times. I'm going to get a better job. That needs to be the motivation of a coach that comes to Dayton. Cause that's really the reality for nine out of 10 times, you know, they're going to leave. Whereas with AG, I was very afraid of the fact that he would probably look at this job as his last job, right? His final paychecks, walk out into the sunset after he retires, and you know, does he leave the program in a in a better place than when he found it? You know, in two thousand and twenty two, almost two thousand twenty three, I think the answer we agree is no. Yeah, and I mean that was um, that was a positive for a lot of folks, you know, because. I think it was a positive for a lot of folks that don't have the ability to think critically is that, Oh, you know, he's going to be a lifer, you know, he's our coach forever now. But so what? (laughs) And and it's, yeah. And you look at that sentiment now and you say, well, here's the reasons why that's misguided. You know, if you have seasons like this, you continue to stumble and stub your toe in the non-conference. There's not a whole lot of urgency for yourself personally. Right. And I can tell you that for the very first time in six years, I finally started to field messages over the week that there are a few select donors around the University of Dayton who have come to Jesus and realize that this isn't fucking good enough. This ain't it. Yeah, this isn't it. It's not good enough. With the amount of money and support, facilities, everything... You know, this isn't good enough. And it should it you could you cannot possibly be sitting there right now and say this is good enough. Now well, 
Yeah. Let, let me cut in real quick. Sorry, sorry. Just just because I want to fire this out, right? Yeah. You know, you know our buddy Adam on Twitter. Yep. Uh, I don't know his handle. Was it Adam twelve twenty four something like that? Adam G twelve twenty four. Go ahead and go ahead and throw him a follow. He's a good dude. Yeah, there you go. He's he, yeah. He's like probably the most rational follower I can think of on Twitter as far Besides as Judy Hoops goes. Of course, yeah. right, of course, right. <laughs> uh, present company excluded, obviously. But you know, he has a very good rebuttal to anybody that is a blind supporter of AG. And again, we're making a distinction between supporting AG and being a blind supporter of AG. Correct. Correct. We're not saying, you know, it's fine to support the coach. We all want AG to win. Uh, That's that goes without saying for sure. But Adam's take on this whole thing is when somebody comes at you and says, you know, I I like AG. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a, you know, he's a good steward of the program, blah, 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 blah. Adam's thing is always saying, okay, that's great. Let's put that aside for a second. What are your expectations for the University of Dayton basketball program? Sure. Okay. Tell me what they are. And then person, you know, the, the person has to list off A, B, C, D. And then Adam will say, has he met your expectations over the, the past six years? And the answer, unfortunately, is going to be a resounding no. And right. I, for me, that it's a great way to approach the, the issue because it's, it's like, dry. it is, it's cut and dry. What Take AG out of the equation. What is your expectation for this basketball program? Okay, we've we've established the baseline for what your what you think should have you know uh, the, the expectation should be. Now to now be critical of yourself. Are we meeting those expectations with Anthony Grant? And that really is the best way to approach this kind of you know debate. I think. Sure, and even to take that further for this year, um, I think that. This year, the expectations were sky high because we returned everybody from last year in a team that, frankly, did hit their stride towards the end of the year, which was quite rare for an Anthony Grant team. They don't always hit their stride towards the end of the year. And, and they did. Um, you know, let's just back up really quick. Last year on January 22nd, they were 12 and 7 after a 50 49 loss to George Mason. They were 4 and 2 in the A10, they were going nowhere. And from that point forward until the A-10 tournament when Malachi uh, you know, broke his ankle and they lost the heartbreaker to Richmond after blowing a 15-point lead, they were 11-3. and They were objectively a very good basketball team. They were, by every metric last year, after they started 1-3, and they were a top 25 team. Unfortunately, as we've said a bunch of times, you can't do that. You can't slice the season up for where it's convenient for you. They lost the first three games out of four to way inferior opponents. And if you sit there and you say, well, look at the job he did with the team. Okay. Why weren't they ready to start the year? Why did they start one and three? Why did they have to sub their toe three times and then turn into the team that they were supposed to be? And the answer is preparation and coaching. It just is. And this year, you bring back everybody. And the word on the street was, and rightfully so, this team has a ton of talent. Look at all the talent that this team has. Well, now they're sitting at three and four and they didn't come and they didn't win anything in the Bahamas. They were 0 and 3. So if you were convincing yourself, look at all this talent that they have, well, who's to blame? Are you willing to blame the kids? You, you know, if you're going to call them kids, I call them adults, but are you going to blame the players? The 19, 20, 21 year olds, you're going to blame them? Because I'm more inclined to blame the millionaire that gets paid a lot of money to coach and win games. And that is quite literally his job, is to win basketball games for the University of Dayton. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, last season did kind of break a lot of people's minds of how this or how they view this kind of mediocrity. Because they did turn the season around. And whether you believe it or not, I, I don't believe it. But they were the first team out of the tournament. And if they had just not lost to LaSalle or beat Richmond and Malachi didn't get injured, it stands to reason that Dayton would have gotten the tournament despite that one and three start. And that would have been great. Honestly, it would have been awesome. But as we sit here and the team is three and four, you have to place the blame where it belongs. And it's on the head coach. The head coach gets the credit for the wins and he gets the credit for the losses. And I saw something absurd on Twitter uh, there's a lot of absurd things on Twitter, but a guy said to me, Oh, it's ridiculous that he doesn't get credit for 2020 and being coach of the year. 2020 and coach of the year is the only reason we're even having this discussion because if he's not coach of the year and we were 29 and two in 2020, he'd already be on his way out the door. So the only reason that we're sitting here on this day of our Lord and having this discussion is because he earned that goodwill through that 29 and two team. 
But unfortunately, now, if you look at his resume at Dayton, and then you go back and you look at the six years that he had at Alabama, they are eerily similar, with the only outlier being that in his third year at Alabama, they were 27th in Ken Palm. They were a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. And his third year at Dayton, they were a one seed, ostensibly, and the fourth best team in the country. And the difference there is Obi Toppin. We are far, far enough away from the 2020 season that you are, you are seeing right in front of your eyes that we have our own Brady and Belichick situation. And you know exactly who is Brady and who is Belichick now at the University of Dayton. Do you not? I do. Yeah, I knew you did. Who's, who's, gr- who's Gronk, though? Yeah. <laughs> he's, Trey uh, Landers? He's talking uh, insurance these days, isn't he? Yeah, um, well. You know, I, I just think that's the point that needs to be hammered home was if if you went into the season saying, look at all the talent that he has. Well, he's not doing anything with that talent. And whether he turns the season around or not, it's it gets late really early. And it's late. You know, three and four with only one more literally one more good opportunity to have a win in the non-con against Virginia Tech. You know, Wyoming ended up not being what we thought they were. They had a couple <laughs> injuries, and I mean, they might, again, turn it around a little bit, but they've lost to Southeastern Louisiana, Drake, and Boston College, who is terrible, and, and they stink. So the schedule that was put together to navigate and get wins and go to the NCAA tournament, again, it, it don't mean diddly now because there's no opportunities left. Like it has gotten late early and that's kind of where we're sitting right now. And towards the end of the show, we'll do the a 10 roundup, but it ain't pretty either folks. There are now no teams in the a 10 that are in the top 40 of any metric right now. St. Louis is sniffing it. Ken Palm, they're 44 and uh, Bart Torvik's rankings. They're right around the same, same. I think, I think they're like in the forties. Um, but Again, we talk about this year in, year out. There are just not enough opportunities that you can blow three in a row in the Bahamas. It's just that simple. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we know this because this has been the the pattern every year, right? We we have these Dayton is fortunate enough to be a mid-major that gets invited to, you know, some of the more elite uh Thanksgiving tournaments. Oh, well, we and get invited because the fans show up. Well, and you know, Sully, you and I discussed this a little bit before the show as to, you know, is, is Dayton a program about the players or the fans? I think it's pretty clear, you know, what's more important, but just to go back for a second, people have to remember, I understand your, your people say we're not giving credit for the, the 2020 season, but guess what? Nobody's getting credit for the 2020 season. Okay. Yep, somebody right. wouldn't, somebody wouldn't would have won the national title that year. So they're not getting credit for it. You know, it, nobody's getting credit for 2020. It's like, it didn't happen. And sure. I, I get, you know, I mean, better or worse for better. Right. Or worse, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's time to move on from that metric. It's kind of like, like you said, that was what three seasons ago now. Yep. So, I mean, you, you know, you had, you had to close. That's a recruiting class. That's three recruiting classes ago. So close the door on that shit. But like, like you said, it, the problem with being Dayton is that while you do get these, these shots at, at high major teams, when you don't take advantage of it, you know, it's the same story the margin of error becomes almost you know, too slim to even look at. You have to basically run roughshod through the A-10, and that's not considering how horrible this program is historically on the road in, in the conference. Uh, you're, you're not talking about injuries. You're not talking about you know games where they're shooting 17% from three-point land, although that would be right on average right now. What are they shooting like? 20? It's like oh. I looked it up today. I mean, this is incredible. They are now they're shooting 26.8 from behind the arc, uh, on the season, that's 346th in the nation at 362. 335. Okay, by Ken Palm. That's what All right, I'm looking at. I'm looking at ESPN, which I shouldn't be doing. But yeah, don't do that. There are 362 teams in D1, uh, and Dayton is near the the, the, the bottom 10. percent So I mean, you start there because look, the modern game has become so three point oriented. Uh, the kids love to shoot it. You know, I, I see, I see Kamar out there. He's shooting it, and Blake oh, remember, needs shooting remember him. Remember in the Wisconsin <laughs> game, Kobe Elvis, they had a four-on-one fast break. Oh, uh, he pulled up. He, he pulled, pulled up. up from three, and they were like, yeah. they were what? At that point, they were like one for fifteen from downtown yeah. or something. But yep, he's got to shoot him. Shoot or shoot. I, I did have a visceral and vocal reaction to that play, but afterward, I, I calmed down a little bit. I was like, you know what? Good for him. Just jack it up, man. Nothing's yeah. going in anyway. Shoot or shoot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the fact that they they shot the ball so poorly uh, in the Bahamas, I mean. 
you know, it, we're seven games in. That might just be who this team is. You know, we, we have to accept the fact they're not going to shoot 40% on a night most nights. They might get hot. It might happen. But when you're playing the modern game and you can't shoot the ball, that's you're not going to have a good time. And that's where we're at right now. Um, again, the, 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 the problems are great and they're many. Um, <laughs> and and the, the other thing is we went, it was hyper speed. We went from this team is the deepest team we've ever had to kicking the tires about whether Elijah Weaver could help this team or not. Like we, we went, it was like a week's time where it was like, man, we're so deep. And then on Twitter, like a week later, it was like, boy, it'd really be great to have Elijah Weaver back. Like, these are the kind of things that fans are saying right now because they don't know where else to look. And if you're sitting there saying, well, you know, we haven't had a whole a healthy team the whole year. Okay. Um, that's the case more often than not with Anthony Grant teams at this point. And Kobe Brea was not the difference between Dayton going 0-3 and, and, you know, Dayton going 2-1 and or whatever it is. And again, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you, so when you look at this team, deep or not, I mean – they are turning the ball over on unforced errors 12% of their possessions right now. They can't shoot the three ball. Overall, they are turning the ball over on 22% of their possessions in general. That means one in five times down the floor, Dayton's turning the ball over. You know, that is a mark of a team that is not well coached. You know, And the, the most concerning thing that I saw from the Bahamas, results aside, was that this team was not prepared. They weren't prepared. They were not prepared to play Wisconsin. They weren't prepared to play NC State. And they weren't prepared to finish out the game against BYU. And if you want to know what a transparent, modern coach looks like, it's pretty close to Pope at BYU. Because in the press conference after the BYU win, BYU beating Dayton, of course, he won. Mark Pope went up and he said... I didn't have the boys prepared to play today, but we went in the locker room, we made some adjustments, and we found a way to win. You can bet your ass Anthony Grant is never going to say something like that in his whole career. He's never has gonna, he ever, never, <laughs> never. And and that's the stuff I look at with other programs where I say, man, I would kill for a coach to be transparent. You know, I would kill for a coach to tell us what the hell is going on with all these injuries, why we start the season shorthanded year after year, and. Again, I go back to the, the resume of, of his time at Alabama. His first year, they were 17 and 15. His second year, they were 25 and 12, narrowly missed the playoff or uh, tournament. 2020, or 2012, rather, his third year, they did make the tournament. And then 13, 14, 15, they missed the tournament every year. They were outside of the top 50 at Ken Palm each of those years. That's what we're looking at right now. Last year, they snuck in being 45 in, in Ken Palm, but... If you look at the totality of Anthony Grant's resume, he does not have he only has two teams that were in the top 30 by season's end. The 2012 team that I just mentioned and the 2020 team. And that's it. If you look down the tempo of how quickly the teams play, Anthony Grant has never had a team in the top 150 in the Jesus. country in tempo. Oh my god. And I saw Is that right? Yeah, Whew. 150. Okay, oh, they have the fastest team that Anthony Grant has ever had on the offensive side was the 2020 team, and they were 220 in the country. And that oh was God. the fastest team he's ever had. I saw an article from an NC State blogger um, uh, before the game on Thursday, and he said a sentence that was Anthony Grant neuters his talent by forcing them to play slow in a methodical, antiquated half court offense. And he hit the nail on the head. We have yeah. all this talent. We have all these guys that can run. I, going into the season, how much did you hear about Duran being a rim runner? I, where is that? Too been? much. Too much. There's I got no tired fast of it. breaks. There's no tempo. They spend. They. I mean, you saw it in the Thanksgiving tournament. We spend so much time running action on the offensive side that is completely meaningless. It yeah. Does nothing. Yeah. And um, yeah. so, like I said, the problems are great, and they're many. But that, that's the thing. I, I, I think I think you're right in a sense that, you know, you have to have a coach that that makes adjustment adjustments. And then, look, when when you're taking on water like we are right now, you want a guy to come out and say, like, look, we're opening up the lineup again. 
Uh, everyone's playing for minutes. Yep. Uh, we're we're going to try some different things, some different rotations, but we know that's not going to happen. You know, we've been we've been screaming and yelling for this team to to play more hurry up and get on breaks forever since AG got here. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a it's not a uh, it's not a pretty style of basketball to watch. It's probably not a very nice system to play in if you're a player. Um, and it it does. They're so one dimensional. They're so easy to defend. I feel. I mean, look, any team that's scouting Dayton is going to go look. We're we're going to pack it in a little. Don't let Deron Holmes get dunks and easy easy looks inside. Don't let him get the ball, which most yeah. teams have been able to do. Mostly. I mean, I mean, the first game I watched all forty minutes was a UNLV game, and that's exactly what they did. They the fronted Holmes, yeah. And if they lobbed over the top, a second guy came down to double. Holmes kicks it right back outside, and someone clangs a three off the rim. Yeah, a, a team's gonna let you shoot. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I remember you. I had youth coaches. I had coaches in high school that literally used to tell you, "Look, if they want to shoot threes all day, let them." Until they start hitting them, let them shoot them, you know. And it would date if you're if you're shooting twenty six percent, why wouldn't you just let them bomb away? You know, you, you become a one dimensional team. And I, I think a, a big factor, and I think I felt this way. I, th- I know a lot of other people probably felt the same. Was that we kind of felt well? Once Mally gets in the lineup, we're going to look a little bit different. We're to get easier looks. The offense is kind of it's going to open up a little bit. And I don't want to put any any blame on Mally at all. I'm not. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just saying maybe he wasn't quite fresh, or he was. You know, it's tough to throw him into the mix against Wisconsin, NC State, and BYU. You know, and tell him, you know, here's the ball, run with it. You know, he he's coming off a, a banged up. Uh, I don't know what he's coming off a knee or toe or something. No, I don't know. His, his ankle and his and ankle. Then, yeah, he's he got hurt, the old. He hurt his ankle again now. So you know, take he's, a look. He's had three ankle injuries in the last nine months. It's not good. Yeah, his ankles are made out of fruity pebbles, man. That's yeah, that's man. like bad. they got to put some got to put a brace on that. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> I feel bad for him, man. It's like yeah, but you know, some he back. He's just he's hurt. You, you see this in, in in athletics everywhere. Some guys, their bodies are just built that way. Where it's like, look, I'm a fragile dude. You know, I'm constantly spraining my ankle. I'm doing this or that. But the point is, I think a lot of people felt like that was going to be the thing that kind of changed the chemistry. And we would start getting easy buckets. We would start scoring in the 70s again. Um, But it just didn't happen. Mally didn't look his best. Obviously, he's not really a threat from the outside right now in his career. And, you know, bottom line is you just didn't get the job done. It wasn't enough. But, you know, the... The BYU loss, you don't want you want to you don't want to focus on it too much because you, you definitely want to turn a page on that one. But that's the kind of loss that's it's so disheartening. You know, it really does suck the air of the program. It sucks the air out of the, the direction of the year. Yeah. And it's one of those games you kind of bookmark and go, yeah, that's when I knew. That's when I knew it was it was it was time to kind of find other hobbies and passions it was, outside of UD basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it was time to hit the panic button, is what it was. Yeah, it's just one of those games where you go, okay, it's going to be that kind of year now. And, you know, we talked about it before it went on air. It wasn't like UD was going to get marquee wins after losing to Wisconsin anyway. You know, even if if you go out and beat NC State and Butler or BYU, those are nice wins. They look good on on paper, but they're not going to do much in in, in terms of, you know, catch the the eye of the the selection committee. You know what I mean? Sure. sure. So you, you lost that first one. Then you're just trying to salvage wins. And unfortunately, I mean, I mean, this is, I can't think of a time that, have they gone 0-3 in an early season tournament before? I don't even, I, I don't recall, honestly. I will tell you the answer to that question Ooh. on the other side of the break. Let's call it teasing. Oh, okay. We'll be right oh, back teasing. talking out loud with Sully and Blackburn. Quick break. We'll be right back. Got to pay the bills. And welcome back. Still Sully and Blackburn talking out loud. We don't need a guest tonight. We can fill this whole hour chopping it up, talking some shit about the Dayton Flyers all by our lonesome. And you know what? That's not even fair. We're not talking shit. We are realistically pointing out the problems with the program right now. And I hope you're entertained. Um, Before we went to the break and uh, we paid our bills with commercials, Blackburn had asked me, when was the last time that Dayton went 0-3 in their exempt tournament? Blackburn... Would you would you fair would you like to take a guess at that? I, my guess is uh, it's got to be during the the BG days. That's my guess. It was not. It was not. Op. Nope. Wasn't even that. Arch. Either. Oh, dude, it was way back, dude. It was. Way oh. Back. Ob. 
Yeah, it was uh, Jim, Jim, Jim O'Brien. They went to the Great Alaska Shootout in 1992, and the Flyers came home with three L's uh, en route to an 0-5 start to the season and 4-26 and overall. Look it up. So it's been, it's been 30 years since... Since uh, see, as I'm saying, Anthony Grant is is doing things that we haven't seen in three decades. Yeah, because so, the last time know, we started one and three was like in the mid '90s. It was, it was so. I mean, thing. this guy is like straight up. Th- it's a throwback. He's a throwback coach. He's giving homage to the to the, the greats, to yep. Jim O'Brien. And you know, I'll throw another stat at you. Since the 2020 season ended, um, Anthony Grant is 41 and 25 on this day since the 2020 season ended. Wow. And that's just that's, not good enough. You know, I saw that's, wow. I saw that's um I think it I think it was Brooks um you know giving respect to to what he he offers up opinion wise. He said, "Well, you know, Anthony Grant's winning uh two thirds of his games, you know, 67% or 68% winning percentage." Okay. Um that equates to 21 and 10. And guess what? That's not getting in the tournament in the A10. It's just not. You know, Neil Sullivan has put out there a bunch of times athletic director that for Dayton to get in the tournament, they have to have eight losses or fewer. That is the dividing right. line between Dayton getting in and staying out. And if you're saying to yourself, well, look at all the games he's winning, he's not winning enough. 20 wins don't mean anything. 24 wins is the high wa- is the low watermark. That's where you have to be to have a relevant season. And that's just not getting done. So, yeah, I compiled the stats 41 and 25 since the 2020 season ended. Um and what it's you had, you had a, you had another fun fact. Um, what what's AG's record on the road in out of conference games? Do you remember? Yeah. So he is. Uh, this is not neutral site games, but true road games in the non conference. Right. AG has yet to win one of those. He is zero and six. So he's got an over on that yep. one. He's got an over on that one. Um, All right. See, and, that's what I'm saying. You start you start kind of adding it up. And, start you know, looking at everything. You know? That's what I'm saying. You know, he, the guy the guy looks good in a in a in a suit, and he looks good in a, a, a quarter zip. But you start looking at the numbers, which you know you can't really you can't really argue about. They and it's hide. it's it's kind of a dark picture, you know. So that's what I'm saying. When you're talking about AG, you got to be kind of objective and kind of point to what is is known and what's not known. And what's known is, you know, he hasn't been to a tournament yet. The team looks like shit. Uh, we're wasting Deron Holmes maybe last year in a UD uniform. I don't know. The list might go on and on. It's possible. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. this depending on the injuries, man, this could go sideways really, really fucking quick. Too. Yeah, and, and everybody everybody saw it, right? Um, you know, Kobe Elvis went down with a knee injury. It looked pretty serious. Malachi Smith rolled his ankle again. It was carted off crying. That looked even worse. Again, three ankle injuries in nine months. I feel for him, uh, both of the guys. I feel for the team because this, again, this this could go sideways really fast because this team had a lot of issues and losing two of their guards when they have no guard depth to speak of anyways could really be a death knell for this season. And if you say to yourself, well, you know, uh, well, that that's, you know, it's called an excuse or call it what you want. Oh, the Flyers aren't going to be healthy. Okay, well, you know, AG made the roster too. And he decided to go into this season with four guards total. Okay. He decided to bring in a transfer from Georgia who is already redshirting. Okay. Caleb Washington hasn't seen the floor. He has some off the court troubles. I'm not going to get into because I'm a little bit uh, above the belt. I won't, I'll do that. Um, Zimmy still has not shown us what he can be. Uh, Mustafa Amzil's basically been the same player. You know, some nights he's going to give you 20 points. Some nights you won't even know he's on the floor. RJ Blakeney, who I believe to be a very talented dude, hasn't put it together yet either. He, he scored 13 against Lindenwood, hasn't broken double figures since. I guess against Wisconsin, he put a big goose egg up. So, Where's the player development that everybody used to hang their hat on? You know, tell me who has gotten better on this roster since last year. And again, I'm not going to sit here and blame the team. I'm not going to blame the college guys. I'm going to blame the coaching staff. I'm going to blame Ricardo Greer. I'm going to blame Anthony Grant for bringing in a guy like John Brandon, who I don't believe adds a damn thing to this coaching staff. I don't. I don't believe it. And if you're sitting there saying, well, you, you, you're sitting behind the mic, you know, and you're just throwing stones. I mean, that's just how I feel. You know, the guy got fired for Cincinnati for some pretty black and white reasons. 
And Anthony Grant, you know, wanted to take a flyer on him because he thought that he could help the coaching staff. And more importantly, I'll give Anthony Grant credit for this. We talked about all the the deficiencies that he had, drawing up plays at the end of games. He's been historically fairly poor at. I believe he went out to go get John Brandon because he thought that he could fill that void for Grant. And he could call some plays down the stretch. He could help him in the last five minutes, whatever it might be. And that clearly is not the case. So whether or not they they turn this thing around and they and they you know start winning games down the stretch, it shouldn't have taken this long, you know. And whether that's his offense being too complicated, him not getting enough guards on the roster, which a roster which he made up, again, like the problems are many. And uh, you know, I I mostly feel for Deron Holmes because uh, not only does he have a, a greater spotlight on him now, but the fans are unfairly comparing him to Obi Toppin, and that's not right. Everybody was expecting Duran to make this huge leap this year because that's what Obi did. But people, you got to remember, Obi Toppin was a generational talent. He was probably the best. I don't think probably. Obi Toppin was the best player to ever play at Dayton, ever. And if you were sitting there thinking to yourself, well, we got another one coming in, you're, you're dead wrong. You're just dead wrong. And it's, that's not a disservice to Duran, but... You can't expect that to happen again. And, you know, the other thing, too, that we said on the previous podcast, I said on ESPN Radio this past week, the film's out there on Duran. People know how to defend him now. And he's still getting his against BYU. He had 12 shots from the field. He was 7 for 12. He scored 21 points. He had 20 against SMU. He's a good enough player where he's going to be able to counteract that. But UNLV and Wisconsin knew exactly how to defend him. They denied him the ball in the post. And in both of those games, he got five shots. He scored nine against Wisconsin with three of those points coming from the free throw line. And he scored two points against UNLV. He didn't even get to the free throw line. And I'm sorry if your best player isn't getting the ball and he's getting five shots. That's a coaching issue. That comes down to the coaching staff. Simple yeah, as that, man. There's no, there's no two ways about that. Um, and you're right. If you got, you know, for, for our program, for Dayton, I mean, OB obviously is the most elite guy probably, probably that will ever suit up for the school. But again, Duran is, what was he? He was a top 40 recruit. I mean, he's an elite talent. He's the guy you got to kind of build a team around. And yeah, watching him kind of flutter and get frustrated out there, not get the ball. You got to get him the ball, even if it's to, you know, draw a foul, kick it back out, at least opens up the offense a little bit, you know. Um, And again, I don't know anything about him personally. I don't know where his head is at as far as his future, but it it would be a real goddamn shame if he walks out of here in March and, you know, he never made the impact he probably should have for this program. And so I want to circle back real quick. You know, we're kind of talking about bigger issues, kind of big picture things tonight, yeah. uh, specifically with AG. You know, with the injuries that are kind of piling up, and obviously these, these are two key guys, you know what I mean? This, these aren't walk-ons. These are guys who are, you know, one guy who runs the offense, another guy who's kind of called upon to get instant offense. Yeah, um, He's probably, Kobe Elvis, for what it's worth, is probably UD's best bucket getter at this yeah, particular moment. I, yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Um you know, if, you know, we're in year six now and if things go according to, to plan and how we think things are going to go and that, that being said, not make the NCAA tournament, how much, depending on how long these guys are out, I mean, you personally, if you put yourself in Neil Sullivan's shoes, how much do those injuries affect your evaluation of AG at the end of the year, given that this is now year six going into year seven next year? Yeah, and that's the most interesting question because we said going into this year that this was NCAA tournament or bust, right? That was that was the expectation from everybody that it was NCAA tournament or bust. And you know, if I'm being as pragmatic as I can as an athletic director, you probably you give AG that one more year, you know, to say get your roster get get a team together that can make the NCAA tournament, or you know, this isn't working out. And again, that goes with the the notion of saying you're going to know about halfway through the year whether you got an NCAA tournament team or not. And this year, I think it's pretty clear that we don't. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I, you know, that would be, you know, that that would be great if they could turn it around like they did last year. 
But I, I want to say with this sentiment that no one out there should be rooting for AG to, to get fired or resign because the reality is him getting fired or resigning is going to set this program back for four more years at least. So any fan of the program should want him to turn it around. They should want him to, to figure out where the problems are or recognize that he's not figuring out the problems and step aside. But that's going to come with some pretty serious ramifications. And the ramifications are if AG leaves and we get a new coach, it's going to be at least two years, probably three before we get a team that is legitimately contending for an A-10 title. But I'd like to say in this day and age in college basketball, it's it's closer to two years. You can pretty much turn a team around in two years. And, and we've seen it done everywhere, you know, across the board. Take your pick. Um, but I, I will say that it, it's, again, it's getting late early. And um, it's we're at the point of the season where we're already at a make or break point. And I saw some guy was chirping at me who was working for some two-bit media company, um, which, you know, you can take as much stock in his opinion as you want. Blackburn Review? He said to me, yeah. He said to me, uh, I got an argument with him. And he goes, don't block me when I'm all over your tail when Dayton's in the Sweet 16 this year and you're out here calling the season a failure. You, he was a relaxed guy. He was a big relaxed guy. Yeah. And that just told me that you don't have a fundamental understanding of Dayton's season because this is when you make the hay. The, you know, the Thanksgiving tournament, the first game is your most important game of the season. Dayton dropped mm-hmm. it. And then they came home 0-3. Now they don't have any more opportunities. You, know, you, you look down the schedule and there's only one more team on the schedule in the non-con, Virginia Tech, at 34 who is even going to be a decent game for you. So uh, a long way of, of answering the question, I kind of got onto a different point, but um, if the injuries are as serious as we think they are at the time of this recording, um, we're, we're probably in a situation where Grant's going to get one year. And I, like I said, when we started the show, I did not actually believe that his seat was even lukewarm until I started to field some messages over the last couple of days from uh, people telling me that there's a couple of high up donors that are are very much not happy, nor should they be, because there's a lot of people that give not a lot of people. There's select individuals that give a lot of money to this program, and you bet your pink ass that they're pretty pissed off that we're three and four <laughs> right now, you know. Um, and, and as am I, you know, because this, this team has talent. We are we already know the team has talent. So when you struggle like this, the blame falls squarely on one person, and it's the head coach. But to, to counter 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 uh, argument against that if you already have six years of a record right and again i'm not saying this is the the direction to head in either but does it make sense on some level to be like look we gave it six years it's obviously not that's what i would do that's what i would do just for the record you asked me what neil was thinking and i'm trying to be as pragmatic as possible i'm going the opposite way i'm saying if they don't make the tournament this year um you know, it, it's been a while since they made the tournament. Let's yeah. you know, twenty twenty, notwithstanding, it's been a it's been a, a minute. And you know, like you said, the big part a big part now of college basketball and certainly college football is the transfer portal. And you want to have as an attractive a program as you can, uh, because you might lose three or four guys a year. You got to bring in three or four more guys the next year. That's a tough thing to do, especially when you haven't been to the tournament in a while. And you don't have the kind of offense that kids want to play in. And, you know, I, I don't know. Listen, I'm not, I, I don't call for, for AG to be fired. I never have, never will. But I wonder if, if you're in the, the mind of Neil Sullivan, now is your job to make that call. This is why you're getting paid. Correct. I wonder if it's worth it to, especially if Deron Holmes leaves. I think if Holmes leaves this year, it's an easy I think decision. it's a no brainer. It's yeah, a no brainer. It's an easy decision. It, circumstances are what they are. You don't have Holmes coming back next year. I think it's it's time to make a clean break. I wouldn't be opposed to giving AG one more year, with the caveat that it, this is a make or break. Yep. You Which don't get this the year was supposed to be as, right. as as recently as like three weeks ago. Right. And look, I'm playing into the whole culture of Dayton as well. I understand it's nice Midwestern folk. Anthony Grant's an alum. It feels bad to fire people. Nobody wants to do it, but. Do you care more about Anthony Grant or the program? That that's kind of the question you got to ask yourself. 
And you're right. We are going to take a step back, maybe two steps back if you get rid of AG. But it might be better in the long term, in the long run, to have a fresh start. You know, I'm always a big believer in just blow it up, build it back up. And for me, at the end of the year, if things go the way they look like they're going, I'd be hard-pressed to keep him around for another year. But I agree with you. I think Neil Sullivan will will probably give him at least one year. I wouldn't be even shocked if he gave him two, to be honest with you. But I think he's guaranteed to come back at least one more year. Yeah, and I don't. I just don't think we're at that point yet. Um, you know, being being the guy he is, you know, good face of the program, great recruiter, bringing in guys that are, you know, frankly, we're recruiting at a higher level than we ever have, and that's for sure. That's yeah. due to Anthony Grant. You know, it really yep. is. You got to give him well, credit that, for that too. But, and, and look, we, we kind of we kind of talked about that before we came in. That's kind of what he's known for, you know. But if he's you don't do anything putting, with that talent, <laughs> right, that's a know, yeah. then, then it, it becomes like, so what? So what? Exactly. You're a great recruiter. If you're not winning games, again, it don't. It makes it worse. Yeah. It makes it worse. I'd rather lose with worse players at this point, uh, not guys that you, you you think have potential and can be, you know, uh, a special team in the A10. Yeah, and I mean, you know, shit, that was always the, the thing with Brian Gregory, right? Was it like he right. brought in mediocre dudes and then we were mediocre and no one had to ask questions why. It was like, well, <laughs> right. we got, team we got nobody is. around Brian Roberts, you know what I mean? Right. London Warren is our point guard. Like, it is what it is. Like, we're going to run with it and deal with it. But it, it is crazy to me to think of where we were emotionally and uh, mentally, physically as a program and as a fan base just three years ago. Yeah. To where we are now, it, it, it's it is so insane that this this thing has crumbled to this point that it, it's almost impossible to even to even rationalize it. You yeah. know, it, it's crazy to me. Not belaboring too much, but I wanted to get to the A10 whip around, and it, it's not pretty, people. Um, as of right now, A10 is the tenth best conference in the country, behind the Mountain West and the West Coast Conference, and they're considerably behind those conferences, the American as well, and. There is not a single team that is left undefeated in the A10 at this juncture. You got Davidson at six and one, Duquesne at five and one. You got UMass at four and one, and you got Fordham at six and one. Fucking Fordham is six and one. Now they haven't played anybody, but if you look around the A10, um, it is not pretty. St. Louis is the highest ranked team. Like I said earlier, they are forty fourth. Dayton, after starting in the high 20s in Ken Palm, has already dropped down to 57. Those rankings generally shake themselves out here in the next month. But anytime you're talking about dropping 30-plus spots in the first seven games, something has gone horribly awry. And that's where we're sitting right now. Um, After Dayton, there's a gigantic gap. Richmond is 81, and they are the next closest team to Dayton in the, in the Ken Palm rankings. Now, again, I'm going to keep saying it. You take them with a grain of salt, but what I'm outlining for you here is that if you look down the rest of the schedule, there is only three teams that Dayton will play that is in the top 75 and sorry, three games, two teams. They play St. Louis twice and they play Virginia tech. Who's 34. Nobody else on Dayton's schedule is in the top 75. And therein lies the issue. Dayton could run through the rest of the non-conference schedule. Okay, there's six games left in the non-conference schedule that would put them at 10 and four, sorry, nine and four. But they would have one signature win to their name, and that's Virginia Tech. And they wouldn't make up for the four games that they've already lost. So you just say to yourself, it's time to hit the panic button. Like this season is already on the brink and we're not even into December. And frankly, this feels familiar because the season was on the brink when we were in December last year. They went to Ole Miss and lost. They got to seven and five and they lost their first game of the conference season. They dropped to eight and six. If you go back to 2021 in December, they lost to LaSalle. That was their first game. They were four and two. And then by February, they were good and out of it at 10 and five. You go back to 2019. Dayton walked into the conference slate at eight and five. It was already getting late then. You go into AG's first year, same story. They were six and six going into the conference. So again, it's Groundhog Day. It's over and over and over again. And there's only so many times you can sit there and make excuses for this didn't go wrong or or this didn't go right. And we had this injury and oh, well, what if that happened? Well, six years is a long time, people. And I'm of the frame of mind that Dayton 
I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm frankly sick of hearing the excuses from people because Dayton hasn't won a tournament game since the 2015 season. Okay. And they haven't played in a tournament game since the 2017 season. And we all know that the expectations of this program are higher than that. They just are. And like we said earlier from the tweet that Adam shared and with the conversation that he had from the athletic director all the way down to the everyman fan, the expectation is you graduate your athletes, which we do. You compete for conference championships, which we're basically doing every other season under AG. And you advance in the NCAA tournament, which we absolutely are not doing. So if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, why are you being so critical of AG? That's why. Because the expectations of the program are not being met. And if they do, again, turn the season around and win a bunch of games, you know, injuries aside, you still have to sit here and wonder, why is this team not prepared to start the season year in and year out under Anthony Grant? And that's a hard question that needs answered. So Blackburn, we're getting towards the hour mark. Um, I, I know we've, we pretty much chopped it up. I mean, everything that, that we wanted to discuss tonight, we've touched on here and there. Um, you know, is there anything else that, that you need before we get to final thoughts and, and we take the people out? I will say this, you know, I watched a little bit of Mongolian Mike's like high school and AAU clips on YouTube and play. You can play. Yeah. I, I was, but again, you're like, well, is this going to translate on the D one level? But yeah, I, I got to give a shout out to him because he's been more than impressive. Yeah. Um, the yeah, guy's he, got, he's, been he's got range. Advertised. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy's got a quick release. He looks like a third year player already. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of excited about him and he's been like, the, I, I would say the one bright spot this year is and that and he's going to get a lot more minutes because Malachi is not coming back anytime. Soon. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. So I'm kind of interested to see how does he develop into kind of a, a second option on offense? I don't know. I mean, I'm not against it at this point. I'll be somebody. honest. Like, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I like about the kid is that he's, he's looking for a shot. He's aggressive on offense. You know, you watch Dayton pass the ball around, you know, for 22 seconds around the perimeter. Um, he's a guy that can kind of, you know, get some space and get a shot off. So, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about a lot of negative stuff tonight, but I just wanted, wanted to kind of say that, you know, I'm glad to see that kid kind of lived up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but again, it's the, the concerns are going to stretch to him too. I mean, since the SMU game, Dayton has struggled to score 65 points in every single game. They scored uh, 60 against a, terrible Robert Morris team and that's when people's ears started to perk up as to what the hell is going on here they obviously were just dismal against Wisconsin scored 42 points 64 against NC State and in regulation against BYU they scored 64 and um, therein lies the problem you know this slow antiquated half-court offense is simply not working and you even heard last week we had a beat reporter in her second year covering Wisconsin she said Dayton struggles to make adjustments in game. She's a, she's a God's honest third party observer. She has no skin in the game. And she said that to me and I'll share the story with you. She texted me afterwards. I'll, I'll shed light on some of the dumbass fans we have in this fan base. Sometimes she's, she shared a story with me that in the Bahamas, she, I guess some Dayton fans like kind of, they like ran into her or something like that. And or she was talking to him and said, you know, Dayton struggles to make in-game adjustments. And they were like, no, 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 that's not true, you know. And, <laughs> and they wrote her off like she didn't know what she was talking about. And then when she started to rattle off some of the things and make good points like she did on this podcast, they kind of like grumbled their way, you know, they grumbled their way out of the conversation. Just some good old-fashioned Midwestern sexism right there, Blackburn, you know. Like, oh, I like this, to see it. Oh, well, yeah, this 22-year-old girl, she doesn't know what she's talking about, you know, and – and I'm sorry, you know, if this is all unpleasant for you and you're, you know, again, I don't know, you're probably not like an ardent Grant supporter if you're listening to the show, um, because <laughs> those those people are kind of, they're out on their they're own. They're gone. Yeah, yeah, they're out on their own. And it's and it's a shame because like when I started this show, my, my number one, um, my number one goal was to elevate the conversation a little bit. And, and there were years when I didn't, right? Like came on, got really angry about losses and some of them were I justified. Some of it wasn't, you know, I don't want to be a hot take guy, but um, I, you know, I, I want to stay doing that. I want to elevate the conversation around the program. And so that's why we came on and did an hour long of this is the reality. Is that Grant's resume has told us who he is for six years now and the chickens are coming home to roost. And I'm sorry if that's unpleasant to you, 
But the fact of the matter is we're in the business of winning in college basketball. There's no mistake anymore that this is a big business with lots of money involved and Dayton's just not meeting expectations as a program. And that's the reality. So Blackburn, bring it all the way home with some final thoughts and we'll get the people out of here. Uh, I like the, the, the chapel blue uniforms. I want to go on the record. Saying <laughs> those that. are great. They were great. Great, those, great those move by fantastic. UD. But wasn't it so UD to have the chapel blue uniforms? Everybody loved them. And then the very next game, they went back to the Navy Blues. blue uniforms. That everybody yeah, hates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, logically, I was like, oh, they're eliminating the Navy blues that everybody dislikes. Yes, they're gone. That, they're, they're actually doing something right. Then they're like, nah, we're putting those chapel blues back, back up on the shelf. Uh, maybe you'll see those in, in five years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it didn't it feel like the the fans kind of won that one because we've been kind of advocating for the Chapel Blue for like ten years. We did win that one. That was a, that was right. a win for the podcast and and the old uh, yeah. VR and everything. I just want to think that somehow we we had something to do with that. But Sully, I think you said it all. We're in a bad spot right now. It's very hard to to kind of get get out of this situation. We'll see what happens. You know, the cards are going to be what what they are on the table at the end of the year. But yeah, we're going to need a a probably a win in in Brooklyn to see a tournament this year. <laughs> yeah, we know our record in the A10 tournament, so I'll close with that. Yeah, it uh, it does look that way. Um, the Flyers return to action Wednesday night against Western Michigan, seven o'clock tip back home. Uh, a true get right game, just like Robert Morris was after UNLV loss. Um, you got two just terrible teams that they should absolutely pound into submission in the next couple of days here. If you're seeing slow, methodical offense and a struggle to score 65 points, you should be even more alarmed because Western Michigan is absolutely terrible. Um, they're two and five. They lost to Valparaiso, Rice, Georgia Southern, and Cleveland State. And then next Saturday, Southeastern Louisiana comes to town. They've taken losses to Kennesaw State and Appalachian State. Um, so those are, those are going to be two wins. So, um, you know, get out, support the boys. Like we always do. People will be there, you know, 13,000 strong, all tickets are sold and, uh, everybody will be back in there. No one's, you know, if you've seen people out there that are like, Oh, fans are jumping ship. Like nobody's jumping ship. And that is such a big load of crap that people pull, you know, cause they want to be like fans, like who's jumping ship. It's like, nobody's jumping ship. Like we're still gonna watch I mean, the team, but we're, there are people in in the, in the arena who have been watching this shit for fifty years. Yeah, and it's you like think, they're, they're not going. You think anywhere. this scares them? Yeah, you think this scares them? Come on, it's like they're they're not going anywhere. No one's jumping shit. But I, I will say this, and I'll finish the show with this before taking you out with a song. Is that for the first time since I could since social media was around, the comments on Instagram and Facebook have matched the realistic negativity that has been existing on Twitter. And I, I honest to God, Blackburn, I can't ever remember that happening. Usually Facebook is an older crowd that is support the boys at all costs. And yep. Instagram is usually very cheery for some reason as well. And those two platforms have now turned closer to the conversation that we've had on Twitter, which again is as realistic as it gets most of the time. So I'll leave it. Uh, I'll leave it with that. I'll take you out with Here It Goes Again by OK Go for some fairly obvious reasons. I'm being very cheeky. Um, but uh, for, for Blackburn. Naughty, naughty. Yeah, for Blackburn. Uh, I'm Sully, and this is Talking Out Loud, where there are two rules. You wear red, and you be loud, and we win. It could be time again. I could remember half an hour since I got it up
save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.